Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, Finance Friday Edition, where we interview Stephen Fan and talk about having a baby and setting up your financial runway before starting to invest. I grew up kind of uh, poor. Uh, I talked to my grandma about it the other day because I remember there was a point where we couldn't afford $29 marching shoes. And so I've never had more than 50, maybe even 100 bucks to my name ever in my life. So I get to college and they gave us, they gave me like a $2,000 refund. And so I believe there's two types of people in this world that didn't grow up with money. Either you didn't grow up with money and you save every penny, or you didn't grow up with money and you spend it. Oh, I spent all my money. Oh my gosh. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And joining me today is the inimitable Jay Scott, master of everything. Mindy, I have absolutely no idea what that word means, but I'm going to assume you didn't just insult me there. I am thrilled to be here. It means you're okay. I'll take it. Jay and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. Yep. And whether you want to retire early and travel the world, whether you want to go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, or maybe you just want to start your own business, we're going to help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself toward your dreams. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split. 
with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Take control of your investments and secure a stable 8% annual return today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets. Jay, I am super excited to talk to Stephen today. He has an interesting set of circumstances where his investment portfolio is on the low side. But the reason for that is because he has $100,000 in debt that he and his wife just got finished paying off. So that is something that we need to celebrate. Hooray! Because yay! that is, yay! That's a big deal. $100,000, that's like a whole salary or let's be honest, that's like two or three salaries that they paid off in two years. And now they can start their investing journey, their financial independence journey. So this is their story. Yeah, it, it's a great story. But here's the thing. They paid off $100,000. But now Stephen's in a position where he's getting ready to move on to the next job. And he's got some hard decisions to make. And hopefully we've been able to help him make those decisions or make that decision uh, and put him on the right path. You know, I think that's a really great point. Uh, Episode 157 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast is Scott Trench and I talking about how to have a money date with your spouse. And that is something that I recommend not only Stephen and his wife do, but anybody who is in a position where they're not quite sure where they want to go or what path they need to choose. I think having a money date with your spouse to figure out what path you want is a really great opportunity to just Get a get a read on what your spouse is thinking. What are what is their opportunities that they're looking at? And um, so, episode one fifty seven is a good thing to listen to uh, to help guide you down your money journey path. Yeah, my, my wife and I like to do this, and there are a lot of a lot of Friday nights. We'll open up a bottle of wine. We'll talk about our financial situation, where we want to be in the next six months or twelve months or twenty four months. And it's really it's not a formal sit down, have a serious conversation. It's really just a let's get to know each other from a financial perspective and what we're thinking because financial perspectives change over time. And if you're not staying up to date with what your spouse or significant other is thinking, um, you're really, you're running the risk of kind of diverging and, 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 and falling behind each other. Yep. And I heard this quote from somebody I can't remember, but I love it so much. It isn't you against me. It is us against the world. So the two of you need to be on the same page and having a money date or a money check-in is the best way to make sure that you're on the same page. So it's the two of you against everybody else. Teamwork makes the dream work. Teamwork makes the dream work. Okay. Before we bring in Steven, I am compelled by my attorneys to say the contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice. And neither Jay nor I nor Bigger Pockets is engaged in the provision of legal tax or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants regarding the legal tax and financial implications of any financial decision 
you contemplate. Stephen Fan is 29 years old and fantastically happily married with a baby on the way. Yay, babies! They have just paid off a whopping $100,000 in debt. Hooray! That is something we should celebrate. Nice job, Stephen and your wife, and are fantastically debt-free. Now they've got a journey ahead of them. Stephen, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Like, I actually can't believe I'm talking to you. I think I watch you like almost every day. So it's like, you know, of my existence. <laughs> I Now we're best friends. BFFs. Okay, Stephen, we are BFFs. And as your best friend, I have some things I'd like to talk to you about. Let's talk about money. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's I'm do it. Gonna, I'm going to show your financial situation to the world. I'm going to share it with my friend, Jay Scott, who is here joining us today. And- we're going to look at what what you have coming in, where it's going, and what we think you could do a little bit differently to improve your financial situation. First of all, let's celebrate that $100,000 in debt that you paid off. Woo-woo, let's Yay, go. Yay, woo! Okay, that, what did that consist of? So it consisted of $50,000 in student loans, uh, $40,000 in cars, and $10,000 in credit cards. Okay, and you still have the cars, you still have... The education, but now you don't have the debt. Hooray, hooray, hooray. I only have one of the cars now. Okay. Well, still, the debt's gone, and that's what matters. Let's look at salaries. Right now, we have a salary of $5,600 a month with a side gig of $810 a month and another side gig of $650 a month. And we'll get into that in a little bit because I think that's very interesting. But right now, it's just the really quick personal financial situation. Monthly expenses, this is where I'm going to focus a little bit more attention on, Stephen. And the reason is I think we can tighten some of these up. We have rent of $1,200 a month, which I think is great. I mean, where can you rent a property uh, for less than $1,200 a month? I mean, you're really getting into some sketchy. We got lucky because of my wife with that rent. That really seems like a great thing. That's not what I'm going to focus on. We have approximately $800 a month in bills which are $430 in utilities, $270 in subscriptions. And those subscriptions is where I'm going to focus on. We've got YouTube TV at $70, HBO Max at $16, YouTube Premium at $20, Disney Plus at $15, Netflix at $20, Experian at $43, The Gym at $27, Microsoft 365 at $10.81. I don't have a problem with the gym membership. I'm wondering why you need YouTube TV, HBO Max, YouTube Premium, Disney Plus, Netflix. That's a lot of TV. And here's the thing: I don't even I don't even care about the money you're spending. Like that's a hundred bucks a month, big deal. Twelve hundred dollars a year. Obviously, you could save twelve hundred dollars a year. But here's the real question: How much time are you spending watching TV and doing things when you could be doing? other things that could potentially be supporting your financial growth. Well, personally for me, uh, I don't really watch a lot of like the subscription stuff. The only thing I really watch is a uh, YouTube TV for all my sports. Like I, I got to watch my Cowboys. I got to watch A&M. Like it's mainly, I, I wish there was a, like a TV, like a YouTube TV, but only sports. So uh, the other subscriptions, it's mainly my wife because she works nights. And so she only works three days a week. So she's at home four days a week at night. She can't really go anywhere. So really it's to kind of entertain her 
throughout the night? I will put a pin in this, and <laughs> she's not here, so she's we will. She that's nights. a research. That's a research opportunity to say maybe you remove one of those over the course of a month and see if you really miss it, or you remove two or three of them. Um, but that's that's an opportunity. Yeah, one thing I was thinking about doing is like kind of like a carousel. Well, uh, she'll watch just two of them for one month and then cancel it. Then the next month she'll watch the other two or three and then kind of just do like a, like a ping pong kind of thing to save money. Or like Jay said, is there something she could be doing? I mean, there's a baby coming, so yes, yes. maybe there isn't. I mean, those first few months, there's a whole lot of nothing that you're doing. You're just taking care of the baby who's like, hey, no schedule whatsoever. Um, then we've got... Normal weekly spending as $600 a week. Okay, that seems reasonable, $2,400 a month. And then when we look into this, we see personal spending of $2,250 for you, personal spending of $1,750 for your wife, fun money for $10, gas $105, $25 for household expenses, $15 for cats, $100 for groceries. This all seems fine and good. And then a whopping $330 for restaurants. I am going to call you out right now and say we can cut that down to $0 a month, or I'm sorry, a week, $0 <laughs> a week for restaurants. Maybe increase your, you will increase your groceries a little bit. That is, Jay, do the math really quickly. What's 330 times four? Uh, 12, 13, 20. 13, 20 that you could be yeah. saving every month just by not going out to a lot of, that's a lot of restaurants, 13. $300 yeah, yeah. a week, not a month. So that is also a research opportunity. Um, you do have $14,000 in savings, which is awesome. Uh, savings for the baby. And your investments, your wife has a 403B with just under $2,000 in it. Again, they did just pay off $100,000, a whopping $100,000 in debt. Um, and your wife's pension plan has $12,000 in it. So Overall, I think you are sitting fairly well. I think you need to look at, I, you don't need to do anything. If I was in your position, I would look at my expenses and see what I could cut out and still live a happy, fun life. And here's something to consider. I'm a big fan of projecting into the future and doing the math. And if you do the math, um, if you can literally just cut out $100 a month, and whether that's in eating out, whether that's in your subscriptions, whether that's a combination of those or other things, literally just $100 a month, and you take that money and you put it in a typical real estate investment that returns 10% a year. And we can talk about what, what investments you should be in, but let's say you're in an investment that returns 10% a year, and you can take out $100 in expenses right now every month when your child turns 18 you're going to be able to, you're going to have over $60,000 in savings. That's right now two years of public college. So you can literally just by cutting out $100 in expenses per month, you can literally save up two years of college expenses for that child. Oh yeah. I'm having a baby. I forgot about college. Oh man. <laughs> That's another thing I got to worry about. That's another thing to add to the the growing list of things to think about when that baby is born. But but I did want to I did want to ask um, your expenses. Um, do those factor in the changes that you're going to be seeing when when the baby comes? Um, I get it because like I'm like I love making spreadsheets. Um, the only thing I mean I have the only thing I really accounted for was that in the budget we were just going to probably add about an extra hundred and twenty five dollars um, a week to like all of her our daughter's needs. 
So most of the things that we're going to keep kind of consistent, but I think for now, initially, because like we'll probably adjust as she gets older or like depending on how it goes. But yeah, we're just going to add about $125 extra to our weekly spend for her. That includes like diapers and formula and any other things that the baby needs. Oh, if that's diapers and formula, that's going to get eaten up really fast with that $125. Oh, yeah. Luckily, though, we just uh, we had our baby shower on Saturday. So we, we were good on uh, at least a little bit of the diapers right now. And then I think my wife is planning on breastfeeding for a little bit. So Okay. Well, let's look at your money story. How did you get to this point in time? Okay. So my money journey actually started when I was a junior in high school. So when I was a junior in high school, um, I was able to go to this program called the TAMS program here in Texas, where it allows you to skip junior and senior year and you start your freshman and senior year, uh, freshman and sophomore year in college. And so by doing that, I was eligible to get the Pell Grant at 16. And so I'm going to back up a little bit. I, I grew up kind of uh, poor. Uh, I talked to my grandma about it the other day because I remember there was a point where we couldn't afford $29 marching shoes. And so I've never had more than 50, maybe even 100 bucks to my name ever in my life. So I get to college and they gave us they gave me like a $2,000 refund. And so I believe there's two types of people in this world that didn't grow up with money. Either you didn't grow up with money and you save every penny or you didn't grow up with money and you spend it. Oh, I spent all my money. Oh, my gosh. And so got to A&M and this time I had a full ride and I ended up getting a five, six thousand dollar refund. And uh, yeah, throughout college, I didn't spend my money wisely. I spent it on women, which is a big regret of mine. <laughs> so... That happened, but then, so after I left college, I met my wife, and I remember in the beginning of our marriage, um, we were kind of living like minimum, like we worked like minimum wage jobs, maybe 10, 12 bucks an hour. Uh, we had apartment, we had a savings, I mean, it, it was a good life, but nothing changed really until she passed her nursing board exam, and that was the first time any of us had made serious money. I'll never forget her first paycheck as a nurse. $1,722.14. We had never made more than 800 bucks in a paycheck. And that was more than double. And so, and we worked at the same hospital. So I went on the corporate side. And so I made a little bit of money as well. And oh my gosh, we were, we thought we were bawling. I mean, we, we tried living the normal American life, getting uh, two new cars. Um, we had a house. Uh, we got a cat who's sleeping right behind me right now. And so on the outside, everything looked great, but on the inside, I mean, we were like hemorrhaging because like we were in just so much debt. And so one day, you're probably gonna think I'm a nerd because sometimes I'll I'll do things because like I'll do the Pythagorean theorem because I remembered it from high school, or I'll do uh, derivatives and integrals. One day, I uh, I did a TVM calculation on our debt because I just remembered that was like my favorite thing to do back in economics class. And I did an amateur. What was TVM? Uh, time value of money. So I did like a, a amateurization schedule where you know I put like, hey, we pay this much a month, but this goes much. This much goes to principal. This much goes to interest. And man, that was the most eye-opening experience of my life. And I was like, why is this bank getting five, six thousand dollars from me? Why is Sally Mae getting this much money from me? Why is my credit card? And I realized my credit card interest was like twenty-six point ninety-nine percent. So they were getting a lot of money from me. Yeah, I know it's. It's pretty high. And so that was an eye-opening experience for me. Um, and this is before I even, I'm a big Dave Ramsey guy, but this is before I even found Dave Ramsey. And I, I didn't even tell my wife. I just said, oh, we're paying off all this debt. 
that's what I love about my my wife. She's very easygoing. Just I, I have a plan. She just goes with it. So March of 2019, that's when we started our debt-free journey. And we've just been on a journey ever since and finally paid off $100,000 worth of debt. That is awesome that you paid off $100,000 in debt. That is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I, I love that because... I- I was, I remember I started my financial journey. Like I, my, I awoken like you did um, when I was your age, when I was 29 years old and I had $30,000 in college loans and other debt. And, and so, I mean, I was right around the place where you were and it basically started the same way it did with you. It's like, I'm running some numbers and I'm looking and I'm thinking like, wow, how much money am I spending? And one of the things I thought that was really interesting that you said was when people grow up without money, they fall into one of two buckets. They either end up spending a lot Lots of money or saving lots of money. I was like you. I ended up, I, I spend money. I am a spender. Money burns a hole in my pocket. But what I've learned over the years is that as long as I'm focused on spending on things that add to my financial value, cash flowing assets and, and other investments, that's a good thing to be spending on. So for anybody out there that's listening to this and you kind of you, you, you kind of empathize and feel like, yeah, I'm in the same spot. I like to spend money. I can't hold on to money. I grow without money. Just remember, there are lots of people like, like us out there, um, but focusing on spending that money on investments and cash flowing assets, that's a great way to kind of be in both camps. You can be somebody that's a spender. You don't have to change your personality, but you can still be doing right for your financial future. Future. Investments over women. <laughs> Wait, did you spend your money on women as well? I didn't. Uh, it wouldn't have helped. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Stephen, what is yeah. your greatest money pain point? How can we help you today? Well, so over the years, I feel like I've slayed the personal finance dragon. I've slayed the credit card dragon. And so, and I feel like slayed the debt dragon. I think the only dragon left to slay is like the investment dragon. So like investments, investing is really new uh, to me. So that's pretty much one of the the pain points that I have. And also I'm part of, I, I would like to be part of like the fire movement. So I don't have a lot of friends or family that are aware of it. So I, there's certain things I can't talk to them about. Like I've mentioned the fire movement to my sister and how I wanted to retire in 10 years. And she thought I was like the craziest person like on the planet. I have to continually remind myself mm. when I'm talking to people who don't yeah. live by me. I live in a Phi bubble. I live in this like Phi Mecca. I live in Longmont, Colorado, which is where everybody comes. And it's, I am, I am constantly surrounded by people who are in this space. So it is, I mean, honestly, it's really great to be able to have these conversations with people. We nerd out a lot, but I'm not the only person who lives by people who are in this space. And uh, there are, uh, have you been on Facebook? Do you have a Facebook account? Oh, yeah. I'm a millennial. Okay. Well, listen. Listen. Some people <laughs> – my kid is like, oh, my God, Mom. Facebook's for old people. Mindy's still in MySpace. Yeah. <laughs> I tried logging into MySpace, but I, I'm, I'm surprised it's still active. I don't know how to use that. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Bigger Pockets Money has a Facebook group. And there's also the, – the uh, podcast Choose Fi has done a really good job of creating – local choose fi facebook groups so where you are at i know there's a local choose fi facebook group there are people in my facebook group who are local to you have you ever thought about starting a local meetup group i actually have started it oh well, not started it but i have started thinking about it but sometimes i'll have a thought but then like i don't go through with a thought so that's 
I think you're gonna give me the push that I need because it would be nice to kind of have like like a fire group like here in Dallas with me. Also, keep in mind that you don't need to have a local group of friends. I mean, we're in a we're in a digitally connected age where you can have friends from all over the world. My core group of of kind of mentors has grown through Bigger Pockets. I jumped on Bigger Pockets in 2008 when I wanted to learn how to to invest in real estate. And many of the people that I met back in 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, I'm still in communication with. Some of them I've literally only met once or twice at Bigger Pockets conferences or other Bigger Pockets events. But these are people that I, we have we share a WhatsApp group or a text messaging group, and we talk as if we've been best friends forever, and we in in a way are, but we're each other's mentors, but we do it digitally. We don't live near each other. Some of my friends are like on the, literally the other side of the world, um, but we can still communicate. I can ask them advice. They can ask me advice. So one of the things I would recommend is in addition to trying to build a local community of people that you can see in real life, also use the internet, build up relationships with people that you can have a digital relationship with. And again, start a WhatsApp group, go on bigger pockets and make friends on bigger pockets, start a Facebook group, start a text message group, whatever it is, um, because these days, that's just as powerful as meeting people in person a couple times a week. That's true. But it would be nice to have like local people around too, because like I did spend a few years pretty lonely and life, I've, I haven't, this like, so the past year was like the first time I've reconnected with old friends. And this has probably been the best year of my life. So it would be nice to have like local people and like the digital people as well. Yeah. I think both, both approaches are absolutely valid, but having a support system, having a local support system. So you can go out and, you mm -hmm. know, to a park and have a nice little picnic with a bunch of different people and have these conversations. And here's the thing, my local groups don't get together and talk about, you know, Roth IRAs and 401k contribution. I mean, we do. <laughs> of course. <laughs> sounds like do. a great, that sounds like a great party. But the conversation like <laughs> flows in other directions. And we talk about, you know, a great beer that we had or a movie that we saw or, you know, what our kids are doing. It's not just all this money nerd stuff. It's, it's this giant flowing conversation. It almost feels like because I know we've got this, this huge, frugality or financial independence mindset in common that's taken care of. And now I know we're instantly friends like you and I, Steven are best friends now. So BFFs, BFFs I know <laughs> that we already can talk about a ton of other things. We don't just have to talk about money. I mean, today we're just going to talk about money, but you know, we can go out and do these things. So that is a research opportunity for you is to figure out how to start a local financial independence minded meetup group. And I mean, you mentioned that you're in the Dallas area. That's mm -hmm. an enormous area. That's like half of Texas is the Dallas Fort Worth area. Right. <laughs> so there are going to be a lot of meetups where it's like in the southwestern corner, but you live in the northeastern corner. It's going to take you three hours to get there. Start one by you because there are people who are just like you everywhere across America, across the world. There are frugal people people who are into financial independence who may feel isolated like you and just want to connect with somebody else. I'll definitely give that a, a try because uh, I think I actually, I just realized I'm actually on the uh, Bigger Pockets Money uh, Facebook page. I think that's where I discovered, uh, that's when, where you posted about being on the show. That's where I was, where we first talked. Yeah, well, yeah. welcome and go in there. And if you are in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, 
We'll we'll start a conversation in that group. Let's make a note about that. We'll start a conversation in that group. Let's start a meetup in that area so you can have conversations about financial independence and not feel so alone because it can feel really lonely when it feels like you're just you and you talk to other people. They're like, retire early. What, you mean like 62? And you're like, "Mm, no, way earlier. I'm talking 40. What are you going to win the lottery? <laughs> no, I'm going to invest. Yeah, yeah, invest in real estate? No, you're going to be a slumlord. You want to invest in real estate? Oh, let me tell you all these horror stories. Those are not the people that you talk to about investing in real estate. Are the people the people who tell you how bad of an idea it is? You talk to people like me and Jay Scott. Hey, Jay, do you like real estate as an investment class? Let's talk about it. I love real estate. What are you doing in real estate? <laughs> I love real estate too. It's my favorite investment class. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. You're trying to save, trying to invest, but your bank account is stuck. How about we get rid of some of those unused subscriptions you forgot about? Trust me, with Rocket Money, it's easy. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Take control over your subscriptions and cancel your unused ones with just a few taps. Create a custom budget, view spending habits, and let Rocket Money negotiate to lower your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. That's rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. 
the BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. Yeah, it's so important to have the right people around you. And and as somebody who's a good bit older than you are, um, what I found is that over the years, you're naturally going to to um, be attracted to people that think the way you do, that have the same goals as you do. Um, I know when I was younger, it was really tough for me to 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 say there are certain friends in my life that probably aren't good for me because um, they they didn't think the same way. It didn't mean we couldn't stay friends. It just meant that they weren't going to be my core set of advisors and mentors and and people that I really grow with financially. And so in a lot of ways, I have separate groups of friends um, where some are kind of in the same boat I am financially speaking and thinking and and other people that aren't. And so you just have to make sure that you, you... surround yourself by with, with enough people who are in the same boat and who do think the same way um, so so that you're not demotivated and, and you're not constantly trying to fight to, to have these thoughts that nobody's supporting. Yeah, absolutely. I can't stress what Jay just said enough. It's you don't have to dump your old friends, but if they're not supportive in what you want to do, you need to find somebody who is. Um Let's go, let's look back at your financial situation. Let's go to your, the income part of your financial situation. We have a salary of 5,600 and this, we talked before we started recording, this is your wife's salary. You don't currently have a job, but you do have two on the horizon. Let's talk about which, what they are and which one you're going to accept. Okay, so that's kind of like, I've been asking a lot of people because I'm really torn between the middle between these two jobs. And so I kind of want to get y'all's opinion and whoever wants to comment in the section as well. So job one is with uh, with an investment bank and it pays about $50,000 a year. However, it's a hybrid schedule. So I have to be one week on campus, uh, one week on campus, one week at home. Um, but there's so much growth opportunity uh, with this position. Uh, job B is with an insurance uh, company uh, that doesn't involve. Oh, the other first job involves talking to customers all day. And so we would have to take our daughter to daycare. And so uh, something about going, taking our daughter to daycare makes me a little nervous or I kind of wanted to spend as much time with our daughter as I can. But the second job I get to be it's a work from home, fully remote, no talking to customers. And me and my grandmother will get to watch our daughter. Uh, well, my daughter full time. And so there wasn't a lot of growth opportunity with that job, though. But I believe it pays about 60 a year. Oh, I have to also mention uh, for 401k nerds out there, the job with the investment bank has a 17% match. And so that's why I do I take the 17% match or do I get to stay at home and watch the baby full time? 
while working. So the the job that would allow you to stay with the baby also pays more. Did I hear that correctly? Sixty thousand versus fifty thousand. Right, but pretty much I just be at I think I just be at sixty for like. Assuming I stay at that job, it would just pay sixty, like pretty much, but no growth. But I could take the fifty, kind of. I wouldn't say be miserable, but like it'd be very tough because that's customer service is like I've did that my for like pretty much throughout my whole career. Kind of wanted to get a job more productivity based, but at least uh, they pretty much said after a year, you know, if you wanted to go to another department, you can't. It's more of just like get a just to get your foot in the door. So there's so much growth to where like I'm pretty sure I can make. 80 and five, which is one of the, I have a spreadsheet of like a plan of, you know, how I would invest and what I would do if I started making 80 in five years, but 17% match. I need to, I need to emphasize the 17% match. That's ridiculous. Okay. And, and how much would you estimate uh, your daycare expenses would be if you took the, the job that's paying less at the beginning? So, um, we found a daycare near us and it was the cheapest one it was about $800 a month. So on day one, your options are basically uh, the $50,000 job with the 17% match, which gets, which gets you to like $58,000, $59,000 a year. Um, but you also would have to pay about $10,000 uh, per year in daycare costs. Right. So that job would, would grow somewhere around $48,000, $49,000 a year. Safe? Safe? Safe to say? Safe, yeah. Okay, so forty-eight, forty-nine thousand. The other job is sixty thousand dollars a year. Um, you don't have the match, but you don't pay daycare, and you get to stay home with your with your child. Um, so on day one, that first job is paying twelve thousand dollars less, and you don't get to stay home with your child. That to me, even though the first job might have growth potential, do you think that let's say a year out, you could still find that you could still go back to that job that had growth potential if you if you chose? I was thinking about that. I'm pretty sure like I would still have an opportunity to kind of do something a little bit better than the original offer that was offered if I got back. That's something to think about, I guess. Yeah. But I think I think I'd still have an opportunity. Yeah. So so for twelve thousand dollars in additional income plus and again, this isn't always just about the money. Um, being able to stay with your with your child for the first year of your child's life is huge. Um, and so certainly I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but I would seriously consider um, the job that will that will net you an extra $12,000 a year and allow you to stay with your child for that first year and then reevaluate after that year and say, hey, maybe I now want something that has higher growth potential. Maybe I have another option with childcare or daycare. Um, but basically take the take the opportunity to, to be with your child for that first year because you'll never get that back. Yes. Plus you get an extra $12,000 that first year. That is true. I don't know if this helps with the decision too, but job. Job A has a three months of paternity leave, but the job B doesn't offer any paternity leave. Does that factor in at all? Certainly, it does. If you plan to only stay at that job for for a Just, year, right? Um, yeah. If it's going to be short term, um, long term, uh, again, it's it's a, it, there's a lot of personal decisions that go into this. Uh, when it comes to family and raising children, it's not always just about the the, the money. Um, so yeah, that certainly could factor in. Um, but again, I, I would seriously consider that job that pays more and, and reevaluate after a year. I'm even more torn now. Well, I have something to throw at you. How uh, your side gig is taking care of your grandmother to the tune of $810 a month. So that tells me that she does need help. She does. You yeah. are taking job number two so that you can watch your baby at your grandmother's house while you're working. How much opportunity 
is your grandmother going to have to help out with the baby if she herself needs help from you for care? And how much opportunity are you going to have to actually take care of your baby when you're working? So, um, you know, when the baby first comes, they just lay there like a lump and sleep until they wake up and then they're hungry and they need fed now, thank you very much. And grandma most likely could sit in a chair and hold a sleeping three-day-old infant and feed her. But can grandma wrestle a nine-month-old baby to, to hold her? While she's, you know, if she's super active and moving all over the place while you're on a phone call, um, I don't know all the ins and outs of this job, but I don't know a lot of employers who are like, oh, take off all the time you need during the day to take care of your baby and we'll still pay you for a full time job. That's a plot twist. I didn't think about that. I'm only thinking short term. Yeah. So, you know, and is is this like a couple of days a week while your wife is working nights and then she'll take the baby on days that that she's not working? Or is she sleeping during the day? I mean, there's a lot of things to think yeah. about. The first couple of months are real easy, but also your wife's on maternity leave. Um, you know, the first couple of months are pretty easy because the baby really doesn't do anything. They're not mobile. But once they can flip over, once they can, you know, start crawling and really start moving around, is your grandmother's house, uh, you know, baby-proofed? Like, what is what is the real reality of this baby being at your grandma's house oh you're right that is tough because yeah the first six months she'll be able to watch the baby no problem but once that baby you know starts getting energy and running around and crawling around yeah i don't think she's going to be really equipped to handle that um my grandma i mean the only main thing I, with my grandma is more of medication management and just kind of taking her to places that she needs so she's still like really high functioning but i just i think with her being 80 taking care of a nine-month-old might be a tall order for her and uh, yeah. another plan that we were trying to have is um mainly my wife working on the weekends and then i'd work on the weekdays so like at least one you know a parent would be with her at all times so that's another mm, having a baby is a struggle and a joy but a struggle yeah there's a lot of things to think about that you know you may not think about at the beginning so you would your wife would work on the weekends and you're working during the week pretty much yeah i'd work monday through friday she'd probably work friday saturday uh, friday saturday sunday um okay so yeah, that's a, that's kind of one of our plans, but she has to talk to the boss, see if that's a possible kind of schedule. And how much of your side gig is still doable if you're working full time? You have to take your grandma to places she needs to go. Does that is that doctor's appointments and they're only open when you're working? Yeah. Is there well, mainly though, she gets uh she gets rides through like a Medicaid hotline. So uh normally I don't I mean, I, I take her to the doctors when I can, but sometimes if I can't, uh, then, you know, I have a, I have a backup. She has, um, Medicaid gives her, has a ride program. Okay. Uh, I think mainly though, it's just be like, before I get to work, it's just medication management for about an hour and a half. And then after work, another hour and a half of medication management. So I, I mean, at least with her, it'll work out. It's just trying to figure out how does a baby play in all of this. And so you're making $810 a month by watching your grandmother. Pretty um, much, yeah. Does that, 800, does, that, does that go away with either of these two jobs or, or is that going to be consistent regardless of no, which No, it'll, it'll be consistent. It'll be consistent because, um, and, I, it's like, and it's the, the clocking in is through like a remote system too. So if I take the remote job, you know, I'll pretty much just double dip for three hours while I'm at the remote job. Or if I'm taking the other job where I have to physically go to the office, you know, I'll just you know, be there for an hour and a half before work, hour and a half after work. There, there's a lot to be said for having the flexibility 
of being able to work from home. Um, uh, even if it, even if you do have daycare, um, there's going to be child might get sick, um, or your grandmother might be sick, or um, or just holidays and uh, days when when the daycare might not be open. And so there's there's a lot of things to think about. And, and I'm a big fan of um, when you have children, if you can be in a situation that's more flexible, um, it's it's probably better than a situation that's less flexible, especially if you're making more money at the same time. I should just be a stay at home husband then now, right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I tend to agree with Jay that I, while I love the 17% 401k match, I like job number two a little bit better. Here's the plot twist. How do you work from home? Are you somebody who can sit down in your home office and get work done? Or are you somebody who is a little distracted? And the reason that I ask this is my husband was working. He's he's retired now. But when he was working, they were all in the office and then the office decided to remodel. So everybody got sent home and some people really thrived in the environment of working from home. And some people were like, oh, I'm going to go on a walk and I'll just do it a little bit later and I'll do it in a little bit later. And uh, not everybody thrived in that environment and some people were fired because of it, which wasn't really fair. I mean, they took away their office and then fired them when they couldn't work from home. Oh, I know that struggle. Yeah. Because that actually, actually happened to me. It is a struggle to work from home sometimes. You're like, oh, I could just do laundry really quick. Well, yeah, if you're throwing laundry into the washing machine and then coming right back down to the computer, that's one thing. But, you know, doing laundry and then cleaning the bathroom and like doing all of these things that require a lot of time, that's not what you're getting paid for at your job. That's true. Yeah. Because when I was working from home, I actually ended up being more efficient, more productive. And so I ended up doing more extracurricular things around the house and they kind of found out about that so i was in it i ended up getting let go okay so yeah you're right probably taking care of a baby while working probably won't won't fly with them so something to think about yeah um, do you have offers in hand from both of these jobs i only have the one offer from company a the investment bank okay waiting it's been three weeks for op- offer number two and i think my recruiter left so there's that. You think your recruiter left? Yeah, because I tried emailing him. Because you know how you, sometimes after an interview, you, you send a thank you email? Well, I, it's like it got blocked. So it's kind of like I assume the guy left. Oh, he left from the company. Probably. I, I couldn't. Re- I can't reach this guy. It's been three weeks. Well, then I, I vote for job number one. Because <laughs> if that's, that's the only the one. Only one <laughs> that right now is the only job that is on the market. But job number two could come available. Yeah. And baby goes to daycare, which is not ideal. I wonder mm-hmm. if there is a hybrid daycare solution. I don't think there is, though. I I'm I know that there are people listening saying, oh, you only have to pay for daycare when the baby's there. I don't think that's true. You no. pay for daycare the whole time, even if the baby isn't there. Yeah. We called about doing part-time. They said, no, you, you just have to pay $200 a week, whether she's here or not. So, Well, there was option number three, which is actually was our original option before we... Uh, before I decided to apply for these jobs, originally we were going to move back to Houston and have an unlimited babysitter with my mother-in-law, my wife's mother. And then my wife was just going to work as a nurse in Houston. So, but mainly we were just staying here now because of job offer number one. You're Well, I don't know if you know this, but there was a little bit of a pandemic going on and there's <laughs> healthcare opportunities everywhere. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. What, what are the options in Houston? Well, she is. Well, because originally we were we met in Houston, so she um, she still has a lot of connections in Houston. There's a lot of hospitals. They're always in need of nurses 
And so she was also considering case management uh, too, as well. So that's and that she could work fully remote with, as a case manager. So, yeah, originally that was what we were going to do. We were just going to move to Houston. She was just going to find a job there. And then we were just going to live in Houston and have an unlimited babysitter because uh, my mother-in-law is retiring once this baby's born. Okay. So I think one big research opportunity for you and your wife is to sit down right now before the baby comes and list out the different opportunities that you each have. If there's nothing really holding you in Dallas and Houston has a different opportunity in the healthcare or the baby care, look into that. Now that would take you away from working with your grandmother. That's, that's the hard part too. It's a lot of moving parts. Just uh, life, life is fantastic. It's just, we got to figure out how we're going to make it fantastic. Is your grandmother willing to move to Houston? Oh, absolutely not. She's, <laughs> I, I tried okay. asking her because she, because we've actually lived it. Well, I grew up in the same apartment, but yeah, she's lived in that apartment uh, pretty much my whole life, all pretty much 30 years. So she's like, yeah, I'm not leaving. She's, uh, she's pretty hard headed that way. So. Okay. I think that makes sense. Let's ask America what y'all would do in my shoes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. In the Facebook group, which which can be found at facebook.com slash groups slash VP money, please let us know which job you think uh, Steven should take. And well, I'm going to go with the first job because there's not really another job um, right now. But should he... Should he stay in Dallas or should he move back to Houston? I mean, I prefer to stay in Dallas, but, you know, free babysitter. I don't know. Life is just hard right now. So I got to make a decision. Sitting down. Well, you don't have to make a decision. You singular. You plural have to sit down and make a decision. So write out. You like making spreadsheets, you self-described nerd. Make a big spreadsheet on staying versus going and what are the pros and the cons of all these different things and you know maybe moving for a year is a good idea or maybe not moving is a good idea your mother-in-law is going to retire when the baby's born maybe she moves to you oh no and then you still get to work with your grandmother you know both women in my life are hard-headed they're going to stay where they're at <laughs> they're both hard-headed welcome to lady <laughs> what you're having a baby girl she's gonna be hard-headed too you're oh welcome. gosh yeah <laughs> So I, I, the takeaway here, I think, is that you have some good options. A lot of people would love to be in the situation that you're in, uh, whether you take job number one or you have an opportunity to take job number two, and maybe even if you move back to Houston, um, it sounds like your income is likely to be in the six-figure range, which is fantastic for for a small family. Um, so you do have a lot of options. So that's the income side. Let's talk a little bit about the expense side. So we've already talked about the fact that you may have daycare, you may have um, that that expense, and, and we've talked about your subscriptions. Let's talk about your discretionary budget. So how much you're spending for things like um, uh, food and having fun and eating out and, and things like that. Do you want to give us an overview of, of of, of what your what your budget looks like for those sorts of things? Well, for like, so yeah, when we uh, started our debt-free journey, we we had to sit down and we kind of compiled all the bills and see what we can cut. And pretty much the current bills, which is $800 a month, which is about $400 per paycheck. Uh, we, you know, this is stuff that we've just been paying for for the past two years. And so pretty much mainly it's just nothing but uh, subscriptions, uh, car insurance you can't avoid, cell phone you can't avoid. Uh, the only thing that's variable with our uh, budget is just the electricity bill. And I like it cold. 
Um, I like it at 68, even in the summers when it's 110 degrees here in Texas. So uh, that's when our bills are the highest. But it's pretty much just a overview. I think the main thing is uh, cutting out a lot or some of the um, subscriptions, which it's I don't know which one to cut out. Well, I notice here on your expenses. So you have um, on a weekly basis, you have $22.50 $22 allocated for your personal money, $17.50. Uh, allocated to your wife's personal money, $10 for fun, $25 for house budget. Um, are those realistic? What are you doing with $22 a week? What's your wife doing with $17 a week? What's the $10 a week in fun budget? Okay, so I'm glad you brought that up. Just because, uh, so again, we had to sit down and we we talked about our like budgeting and stuff like that. So pretty much one of the pain points when we started our budgeting was she's like well how am i gonna get my nails done how am i gonna you know like well how am i gonna get my haircuts and so 22 well really what we do is we budget on a monthly bi-weekly weekly um kind of categories and so my uh my personal her personal is more of on a bi-weekly schedule so she gets about 35 bucks uh every paycheck for her na her nails and i get about uh 45 bucks to get my haircut the reason why there's a discrepancy and i'm, I'm I, I was, I'm glad you brought that up. So I want, I, I'm begging my wife to be involved in the finances. I mean, most people like don't even let their spouses involved with the finances. I'm begging her to come in. And so I, uh, I just gave myself an extra 10 bucks to see if she'll ever notice. And she hasn't noticed yet. So nobody tell her that I'm taking $10 more for my own personal <laughs> money. <laughs> and so the day she notices, that's when I'll give her 45 bucks every two weeks for her nails instead of 35. Okay, well, I'm gonna call her up when we're little, done. Little, little small, yeah, yeah. It's little small financial infidelity, yeah. <laughs> and then ten dollars for fun. Um, this because during the pandemic and like even before the pandemic, we pretty much cut out all friends, all family. Like we just stayed home, uh, and just like every dollar went towards our debt. And so ever since we got debt free, that's when I reconnected with a lot of my old friends. And so this year has just been amazing. So we get about. 40 bucks um a month to have fun and we don't drink we mainly just go karaoke once a month so it's pretty much our uh, our karaoke money or if we don't go karaoke with our friends you know we'll go to a movie it's just 40 bucks a month just for us to have a little bit of fun because i don't believe in the whole dave ramsey rice and beans beans and rice thing so we got to have a little bit of fun okay uh, you just said you cut out all friends and all family when you started your debt-free journey. And that makes me a little sad because you can still have a lot of fun without spending a ton of money. And um, Sarah Wilson is the, uh, YouTube's budget girl or go budget girl. I should look that up. Uh, Sarah Wilson's been on the show several times. She has a fantastic story. I want to say she was on episode number six. Uh, she shared how she paid off $30,000 in debt over the course of three years while making $30,000. And one of the things she would do, this is my favorite story, is she would have people over to her house and she would have a big potluck. Like, we're going to have baked potato night. I'll bring the baked potatoes. How much is a 10-pound bag of potatoes? It's like $5 or maybe it's even $10 now with inflation. But that's $10 and you're feeding your whole family, your, all of your friends. I mean, 10 pounds of potatoes goes a really long way. So you bake the potatoes and Jay will bring the butter and the cheese and I'll bring the sour cream and the broccoli and somebody else will bring bacon bits and somebody else will bring chili and somebody else brings all these little things and then nobody is spending a lot of money everybody's having a good time because it isn't about 
what you're doing. It's about spending time together. So you don't have to cut out all your friends and all your family. You just have to cut out all of the expensive stuff that you're doing. You don't need to go out to restaurants and have a super expensive meal to have a good time. Um, which brings me to my next comment about food. You're, I think you're doing great with a hundred dollars a month or I'm sorry, a hundred dollars a week on grocery budget. I think that's a great grocery budget. Your restaurant budget, as I already said at the beginning of the show, I really don't like that in regards to your financial situation. You don't have a huge uh, investment portfolio and that is because you just paid off a ton of debt, which is awesome. But I would rather see you go out to restaurants once a week or maybe once every other week and take that money and put it into an investment. Jay had talked about how you can take $100 a month and put it into a cash flowing investment. And by the time your baby's 18, you've got $60,000. Here's a way to take $200 a week, maybe even more, and put that into cash flowing investments. I'm what 200 a week is 8xing Jay's amount. So do your math, Jay. Eight times 60,000 is 500, almost $500,000. So that's a little bit more than that's more fun than going out to restaurants multiple times a week, in my opinion. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, something that I have really enjoyed doing lately is going on Pinterest and finding authentic re uh, re uh, recipes for – I'm really on a big Mexican food kick right now. So I will find authentic Mexican food recipes and make them. And yeah, you have to go out and buy a bunch of ingredients. But you buy those and then you only use a bit of these fun – specialty ingredients, but you can use them again and again and again, because I mean, Mexican food is like the same 87 ingredients in different packaging all the, you know, all the time. So it's all the same thing, just wrapped in different ways. And if you focus on one type of food, you can buy the specialty ingredients and then just continue to make these recipes over and over again and get really, really good at it. I'm now a really great Mexican chef. Come over for dinner, Stephen. I will make a trip to Colorado right now. <laughs> <laughs> now that we're best friends. He doesn't seem very excited about uh, cutting back on the eating out. Uh, you know? Yeah. I Well, I, my, I, my doctor would be excited that I cut out Whataburger and Chick-fil-A. <laughs> um, Stephen, is there anything yeah. else that we can help you with today? Oh, there's a lot of things y'all could help with me today. <laughs> <laughs> so many things. Let's, uh, let's start with investing because, as I said, I, I spent... The one thing I do regret was I did drink the Dave Ramsey Kool-Aid and didn't uh, did invest during the debt-free journey while I was working. And so I feel like we're a little bit behind since I'm like almost 30. Um, so it's all of it's kind of new to me. And so I think when I was like helping my wife, like picking her asset allocations for her 403B, I just did target date funds. So I, I don't know. Are there like any like principles to investing or like kind of like, I think I've heard people, they're like, you know, 25% total stock market, total, uh, 25% total bond, 25 international, 25 something else. Like, I mean, what are some rule of thumbs that y'all would follow? Or some people are like 100% in S&P 500 index. Like, like what kind of rules of thumbs do y'all follow? So I'm a big fan, especially when you're young, um, you're going to go one of two directions and you kind of have to decide at some point over the next 10 years, which way you want to go. Um, for some people, they really get excited about a certain type of investing um, and they can, they can become what we call specialists. So some 
somebody might become a specialist investing in real estate and decide, I really want to spend time learning about real estate investing, studying real estate investing, understanding how the numbers work, um, in which case, um, if you're really knowledgeable about some area of investing, and I'm using real estate as an example, but obviously there are plenty, um, but if you, if you are willing to spend the time and the effort and the energy to become really proficient in one area of investing, it's less important to diversify because you have more control over your investments based on the knowledge and, and, and the experience that you have. That said, if you would rather spend that time not learning a specific area of investing, you don't want to study real estate, you'd rather spend that time um, with your child or doing whatever other stuff you want to do, um, in that case, I would recommend going with a diversified model. And the more diversified, the better. Now, you can be aggressive diversified. You can be conservative diversified. As, as somebody who's young like you are, I would say you can be more aggressive but still be diversified. And when we talk about diversified, we're talking about different asset classes. So the stock market is an asset class. Uh, real estate's an asset class. Precious metals is, is a reasonable asset class. There are a lot of different asset classes. And then you can even be diversified within each asset class. So like you said, in the stock market, you can be diversified across um, large cap or very large companies and mid cap, mid sized companies and small cap, smaller companies. You can be diversified across companies in different regions and different countries and emerging markets. In real estate, you can diversify using passive investments um, in different asset classes like, like multifamily or self storage. And there's lots of different ways to diversify. But the first question you need to ask yourself is, do I want to become a specialist in some area of investing? Do I want to spend time learning some area of investing? Or would I rather use that time for something? else and then just diversify my investments across different asset classes. So I, I guess I'll turn it over to you. Um, which of those two seems more appealing over the next few years? Why not both? Well, certainly both. And and the, I mean, there, there's no reason you can't do both. The nice thing about getting knowledgeable and spending time is that typically that effort, that energy, that expertise translates into higher returns. With a diversified portfolio, you may be making six, seven, eight, nine percent per year, which is fantastic. It's more than a lot of people make, uh, relatively, um, relatively safely. With uh, an expertise in some area of investing, and again, I'll use real estate as an example, just because it's, it's the area I know the best. You may be able to boost those six, seven, eight, nine percent returns to ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen percent returns based on the the knowledge and experience. So, when we're working hard to learn about some type of investing class, when we're learning hard to gain an expertise, the value of that hard work or, or the benefit of that hard work is that we get to raise our returns. And so, I guess the question is: Are you comfortable with those lower returns, diversifying, not spending a lot of time focused on learning and, and building an expertise? Um, or are you excited about some type of investing where you can learn it and uh, uh, the area you can really become an expert and you can boost your returns? That's the benefit. I think knowing me, like I really want to get into like real estate, but I kind of like, I think I'm just like, you know, like debt reverse after getting out of debt. So like, it's always been like one of those like, ah, so I want to get into real estate. But knowing me, I would want to really learn to get into real estate. But at the same time, I think practically or realistically, I'm going to end up just um, just being conservative with it and kind of just being more passive, just, you know, kind of just putting my money in the stock market. That's it. And just diversifying. Okay. So you said that you really want to get into real estate. We are maybe, maybe not on the verge mm -hmm. of a recession. The yeah. Fed keeps raising interest rates. Right now is a great time to start 
learning about real estate, even if you're not quite sure you want to get into real estate. There's a lot of properties on the market. There isn't the frantic spring selling season that we had this past spring where everybody was like, you couldn't even get into houses to see them. Now is a great time to start learning. And it just so happens that episode 70 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast featured Jay Scott, the man you see right here, talking about preparing for a recession. And he's talking to people who aren't quite ready to start investing in real estate, giving you advice on all the things you can do in preparation for it. You can start doing your research, learning your market, deciding which market, all while saving up so that when you do decide, yes, I want to be investing in real estate, you're investing from a position of not only financial strength, but also educational strength. You're not just jumping in with both feet on a whim and deciding, "Ah, I'll figure it out as I go. That doesn't Mm -hmm. seem like the kind of person you are. Being debt averse means you don't want to be staying up late at night thinking, how am I going to handle this? Be Mm -hmm prepared, know what you're getting yourself into, and then you'll have a more comfortable position when you finally get into it. If in fact you decide you want to, you could decide after doing some research, Ooh, you know what? This is not for me. That's the best time to know that real estate is not for you is when you don't own properties. Yeah. And and along with those two things, I mean, Mindy mentioned, use this time to research, use this time to become financially prepared. There's also a third thing I really like to do during these times of of, of like transition in the economy and transition um, in ourselves is building relationships. This is a great time. We talked earlier about um, going out and building a local community of investors that you can um, that you can become friends with and that you can learn from. But specifically, if real estate is something that you're interested in investing in, now's a great time to go start getting involved in the local real estate communities. Go start getting involved in the local Bigger Pockets meetups or the local real estate investor association meetings um, or the local meetup groups that are focused on um, on real estate. It's a great time to kind of build your network, build your relationships, because once it's time to actually start investing, you're not going to be doing it alone. Nobody invests by themselves. We invest with teams. And now's a great time to start building that team and building those relationships so that when the time comes, you're ready to hit the ground running. Do you have a bigger pockets account, Stephen? No, I think the only thing is I'm just like, <gasps> uh, I don't. I'm sorry, I don't. That's okay. I am going to give you a free pro upgrade, but first you have to make an account. So make an account at biggerpockets.com and then send me an email, Mindy at biggerpockets.com, and I okay. will go and upgrade you to a pro account so you can have access to our account calculators. I almost said calendars. They're calculators. Access to our calculators, access to the different parts of the site that you don't get with a free account. And then you can really start doing research because once that baby comes, you're going to have a lot of downtime where the baby is sleeping on you and you don't want to move because then they'll wake up. Another research opportunity I'm going to give you is to check out the new Bigger Pockets and Fundrise collaboration podcast called on the market. They are giving you um, weekly updates about the the state of the real estate market. They talk to economists. They talk to um, different people who are in the market right now to discuss um, that just what's going on and where it's going. And um, that's a great episode or a great podcast to listen to, to start your journey in your, your educational journey. 
Um, And I'm going to send you a copy of The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. He recommends in the book investing in VTSAX. That's the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund. This is something that, I mean, he, Jay is, uh, JL Collins is even older than I am, and he's been investing since God was a boy. He recommends, <laughs> wow. shut up, Jay. He re- you're older than me. <laughs> Finally, somebody's older than me on the show. Um, he recommends the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund, set it and forget it. You don't have to do research. You put your money in there. This is every stock that is out there. Wow, I'm actually getting fired up about real estate now too. Awesome, awesome. Let's get you all of this stuff. Make a co- make an account, send me a note and I will upgrade you. And then you can really get started educating yourself to decide if this is really what you want to do. All right, sounds good. Thank you so much. Okay, awesome. Well, Stephen, I really appreciate your time today. This was a lot of fun. I am super excited for your baby. You better send me pictures as soon as she comes. Absolutely, BFF. You're going to get the whole shebang. <laughs> Woohoo! Okay, Stephen, thank you so much. And where can people find out more about you? So me and my wife, we do have a YouTube channel where we did talk about our uh, weight loss journey and our debt-free journey. So you can follow us on Instagram or oh, Instagram and on YouTube at our fantastic life. Oh, fantastic with a PH instead of an F. Oh, I love it. Okay. Playing off your last name. (laughs) Fantastic is my favorite word. Okay. Steven, fantastic. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time today. And we'll talk to you soon. Cool. Thank y'all so much. Thanks, Steven. Jay, that was Steven Fan. I think you had some excellent advice for him. And I appreciate you joining me today and stepping into Scott Trench's shoes. Thank you so much. What are you up to, Jay? I am, well, first of all, I am thrilled that you had me here. This was so much fun. Hopefully we'll get to do this again soon. Um, in terms of what I'm up to, uh, we just released, uh, Bigger Pockets just released my fifth book, Real Estate by the Numbers. Um, so I'm excited about getting that out. High five. Um, and uh, I hope everybody will check it out. And now I'm just kind of r- relaxing and, and figuring out what the next book I'm going to write is. Are we going to write a book together, Mindy? Uh, I would love to write a book with you, Jay. Name the topic and I am there. Excellent. Let's do it. Uh, who did you write that book with? I wrote that book with the amazing Dave Meyer, who is VP of Analytics at Bigger Pockets, probably one of the most brilliant uh, analytical minds that I know. And it's just, he, he made that book worth reading. He, you know, Jay, you're okay too. But you are right. Dave is wonderful. And I am going to give a little plug again for Dave's podcast called On the Market. It is a Bigger Pockets and Fundrise collaboration. And Dave is the host of that show. And if you love numbers, if you're a huge number nerd, that is the show for you because holy cow, is Dave a big nerd? And he talks about real estate and numbers and the economy. And it is great big fun. My second favorite podcast behind this one. Aww. I'll send you your check in a minute. Okay, that brings an end to this episode of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. Jay, thank you so much for your time. He is Jay Scott, and I am Mindy Jensen saying, I hope you get everything you need, Centipede.
There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the BiggerPockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month, four kitchens and bathrooms you can renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can afford? Which market and which deal is best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? These are all great questions, all to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devtha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com four today and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. That's biggerpockets.com F-O-U-R. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.